Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Have you ever um, had a job or maybe you're in a position right now where you had to sign what's known as a non-compete agreement? How about moonlighting? Have you ever done that? Have you ever, you know, done a little uh, work off the books? You're working for an employer in the same industry, but, you know, during your um, quote-unquote off hours, you're, you know, you're actually competing against your employer in some ways. How about having an affair? Mm-hmm. while in a committed relationship or having an affair when you're married. I mean, these seem obvious examples, um, but cheating of any kind is in view here this morning in terms of our Growing Your Faith verse of the day. It's going to sound like it's all about money, but it's really about having a divided heart at any level. So scroll back for a moment to the prophet Elijah, He once challenged God's people in this way. He said, how long are you going to waffle or hesitate between two opinions? How long are you going to have a divided heart? Uh, James warns Christians in the New Testament, um, you know, not to be indecisive or double-minded. A person who is double-minded is disintegrated, uh, unstable in all their ways. So today's Growing Our Faith verse of the day comes from Luke chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, No one can serve two masters. You will hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And we tend to only apply that message to money, as if money is the only thing competing in our hearts and minds for um, the affection that is rightly directed toward God, the love rightly directed toward Jesus. But even in the book of Revelation, like we recognize, you know, Jesus is offended. Some of his descriptions of the offenses that he has, the grievances he has against um, the churches. Here I'm, you know, thinking about Maybe even the the church at Ephesus, you know, where he's like, you know, you've forgotten your first love. Like, you're you're living with a divided heart. I hold this against you. So we're talking um, here about the conflict of interest that each of us lives with when our hearts are divided between any two opposing loyalties. Uh, two things that are competing for our time, our attention, our affection, our devotion, our commitment. So when our hearts are divided, um, a couple of things happen. First, the, the one, the one, the one and only, whoever that is, the one and only to whom we have pledged our allegiance, the one to whom we have vowed 
our undivided affection. Like that one is sinned against. So obviously in the context of marriage, um, the one is the spouse. That that one is sinned against if we are divided in our loyalty. Um, again, the uh, you know marriage is probably the most obvious example, but you could be divided in lots of relationships, including your relationship with money. And the other thing that happens when we have this divided heart, this divided mind about the things that we love, is you end up in this conflict of interest. No matter how hard we try to keep a divided heart equally balanced, I'm going to I'm going to love them equally. I will have two loves, but I will love them equally. My time will be equally divided. Everything will be compartmentalized. You know, something or someone is is going to end up with our greater allegiance. It just it's just the way we're wired. Greater love, greater loyalty, greater devotion will be given to one over the other. To the point that um we start to resent the lesser of the two loves. Now, this has probably happened to you in in a relationship over time. If you spend a little time reflecting on this today, when over time, um, how you know, has my heart been divided? Have my loyalties been divided? And I do recognize that I started to resent um, the the first love, which then I regarded as competing for my time and attention because, of course, I had fallen in love more deeply with something else or someone else. So Jesus knows um, the power of love. Jesus is love itself. He also knows the power of money. He knows the power of financial financial uh, security. He knows the power of wealth over the human heart. And he's just like, you just can't leave, you just simply cannot serve both God and money. And we protest, but we need money. We, we, you know, money is what, you know, it's, it's the, it's the grease that keeps the gears moving. Well, God knows that. And so this isn't about having enough. It's also, it's not even about having wealth. This is about what is first in our hearts. So if you love money, you will come to hate Jesus. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. So um, we've certainly heard it said before that money is a good servant, but a terrible master. And Jesus, you know, he knows what's in our hearts and in our minds. And he knows um, when we secretly love things other than him. He's just he's just pointing out the truth that it's impossible to live for God if, you know, in, in the secret places of our hearts, then we're really focused on something or someone else, um, anything or anyone else, in fact. So. Friend, let us love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our strength. That is uh, not just the Shema in the Old Testament. It's the first and greatest commandment that Jesus quotes in the New Testament. Um, Let us look to Jesus, who has promised to supply all our needs according to the riches of his glory. And um, let us be storing up treasures in heaven. And let us be found faithful stewards of the financial resources that God has placed under our management here and now. And let's do it all to his glory. Um, he is the master of the universe and the Lord of life. And so let, uh, let him be the master and the Lord of your finances as well. 
You're listening uh, to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Uh, Let me ask you, did you go to church during COVID? Did you stop going to church during COVID? Most of us did because our churches were shut down. Um, And so here's really the question of the day. Have you returned to the practice and rhythm of regularly worshiping with others in a community of faith? Luke Helm skipped church for three years. His story next here on Mornings with Carmen. Luke Helm is joining us today. I read uh, a piece that Luke wrote that is posted at ChristianityToday.com. It's called, I Skipped Church for Three Years. My Spiritual Loneliness Brought Me Back. Luke, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so let's just talk about your experience um, that you that you lay out here in this piece, but just maybe walk us through your experience. I mean, like the rest of us, you we're not in church for COVID, but um, but three years is a little longer than the lockdown. Yeah, my wife and I um, spent a number of years down in Austin, Texas, and um, had been a part of a church down there, and um, had been plugged in in a small group, and we had you know loved the people and had a ton of friends there, and um, you know had been part of our rhythm um, pretty much for most of our lives, and. Um, once uh, COVID happened, it certainly disrupted that, and um, obviously we were all pushed out back back home for a uh, better part of, I guess it was, we were almost, uh, I guess, closer to two years than one, probably, um, at the church we were at. And by the time um, physical services came back on, we knew that we were actually headed out of Austin soon, and uh, something about the combination of all of that uh, ended up meaning that that we ended up spending another man it was close to another calendar year until we moved up to michigan uh where we were just kind of hesitant to go back and it just wasn't a part of the the habit of the week and the rhythm of the week and we also had a um we had our second child um in march of 2020 so we had two then uh under five uh under a run around the house and so it was definitely a a busy time but also um all of that together ended up meaning that um it was it was really tough for us to kind of make take the plunge and say um you know it's time for us to get back and 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 get into that rhythm again one of the things that you talk about that i think is just um really insightful um and i appreciated was that this physical separation from the body of christ this physical distance from a worshiping community um led you to an intellectual and maybe I will describe maybe I will say um a spiritual distance um from um from belief itself. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's definitely something that's always been a part of my story. Um when I you know I grew up in in a in a Christian house and um very much was the um you know the water I was swimming in was um was the world of faith and went to a um a christian school for uh, for college and and really there i was kind of confronted with a lot of questions about my own faith and um you know what what i made of it um as uh, as an adult and as as someone who who wanted to um wrestle with it on my own and so as a part of that it really kind of set me on a path of of really trying to go from the bottom up of trying to question um uh, why i believe what i believed and 
how I had arrived there. And so that really kind of started me on a path of trying to wrestle through questions I had about my faith and, and um, the challenges that I felt like were there. Um, but I, I knew that I was going to have to work through at some point. And so that process really has, has spanned most of my adult life trying to, to wade through uh, the questions that I had and, and um, you know, the things that I wanted to understand more. And so really since then, it's been a process of trying to wrap my head around um, what I believe and, and why I believe it. And, you know, this whole thing with COVID really has accentuated the fact that it, um, you know, I don't think I would have recognized when I was younger that it, it, there was more at play than, than simply just the, the intellectual questions. And, um, and I think too, there's more that I, I had to walk through and wrestle through um, in terms of recognizing how powerful it is to share your life with, with fellow believers. Um, because I think there's, um, you know, as I said in the piece, that's one of the things that, that really became clear through this process was that the being together um, with, with like-minded Christians um, really has um, become a source of power when it comes to retaining my faith and, and trying to um, really being able to believe um, the truths that, um, that I, that I have through, through most of my life. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's a lot more difficult to, uh, to maintain that on my own. And I, I think that that tracks, you know, throughout the, the history of the, of the church and the history of our faith, the, the idea that, um, there's strength in being together. Um, but I think that's always been true. And I think the pandemic has really presented a unique challenge to that. Um, along with the, the current moment and, and the division in, out, out in the world and within the church, um, you know, being able to, to prioritize and, and um, fight to try to retain um, unity in the midst of that has been, um, uh, you know, in my life, it's been something that I've really seen as being um, critical. Luke, um, when I read when I read your piece, one of the things that the Lord brought to mind was a conversation I had with a young man in a church this many many years ago, and um, he's was sitting in my office and he was just like, I, I, I know that you see me on Sunday not not saying the Lord's prayer and not saying the Apostles' Creed, and he's like, I, I just can't say those right now. Um, and I said, well, what does it feel like to be standing with hundreds of people who are saying it? And he said, that's why I still come. I, mm. they believe and, and I'm, and I'm, a, I'm a part of, of this church. And so it's, you know, I, they believe and, and I do think there is this power when we are doubting, when we are suffering, when we are confused, um, when we feel alone in the in the challenges of life that we are a part of a believing community and sometimes the community is believing um for us with us um when when we can't in a given moment or season of life so i really um i appreciated that portion of your reflection we're talking with luke helm he is a writer he's also a tennis coach um i don't know we might ask him a question about the us open here in just a moment but we're reflecting together on a piece that he has written that is posted at ChristianityToday.com. I skipped church for three years. My spiritual loneliness 
brought me back. Are you still skipping church? What might bring you back? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. We're talking with Luke Helm. Um, he shares a very personal story um, in in a piece posted at ChristianityToday.com. I skipped church for three years. My spiritual loneliness brought me back. Um, Luke, you talk about John. You talk about uh, Jackson. You talk about a particular photograph of John's last kisses to Jackson. Um, and I think maybe the breaking point that led you to um, in terms of going, returning, returning to a community of faith, recognizing your need to be with a worshiping community. Can you can you tell us who John is and who Jackson is? Yeah, Jonathan Sharks um, was a writer for The Ringer. Um, he actually also had a piece uh, published by Christianity Today at one point, um, but was really a phenomenal, phenomenal writer, um, wrote a lot about sports. He covered the, the Dallas Mavericks, and, among other things, for The Ringer. And um, I had gotten turned on to his writing by a friend. Um, he'd written a piece um, after he had been diagnosed with um, a rare form of cancer. And his son was born within about a month of my second son. And um, John passed away, um, I guess, probably close to a year ago um, now and um, closing in on that. And um, when I had first read the piece, um, I had actually reached out to him and we had corresponded a little bit via email about um, some writing I had done and and, um, our shared love for sports. And... um, he was a phenomenal writer, phenomenal, um, by all accounts, phenomenal guy, um, and, um, and just a adoring father and husband. And, you know, when he, when I found out that he had passed, it really, um, it really shook me. Um, it, it was, you know, he was younger than me and, um, I just saw so much of him in me that, um, um, his passing was, um, was a pretty um, jarring reminder of of my own mortality and um, of of really all of our mortalities. And I think that that's something that um, the pandemic brought home too. So, you know, I think it's easy to be insulated from uh, the reality of death for a lot of us. And um, and the last few years have also really. Um, pulled back that curtain a lot that I think we want to, um, that we want to maintain. And so for me, when, when I, um, when I found out that John had passed, um, it, it was something that, um, 
really moved me and really put my wife and I both in a position where um, it, it became kind of this um, this spur to 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 make the moves that we needed to to try to find a church. We had moved across the country and um, knew that we wanted to at some point, um, but but really John's story, uh, which uh, is really powerful, but it, it talks a lot about his desire for community and his need for it in the midst of cancer um, going through the pandemic. And um, it, it, that that and our conversations around that really um, motivated us to, to, to do the work to, to try to find um, a church for ourselves in our new hometown. Um, and, you know, John's story, I've, I've stayed in touch with Melissa. Um, his wife um and his story continues to be something that is um just incredibly powerful um and and something that um you know really motivated me both to seek that community but also to write the story um because of um the power of his writing the power of his love for jackson um his his i think jackson would also be free now um and you know that his love for Jackson and Melissa both, um, and also um, his desire to see people um, prioritize community in their lives. Um, he died one year ago yesterday, and I mm. thought, yeah, and I just thought um, this would be a, a particularly timely opportunity to um, to acknowledge just the role that um, we might unknowingly have in the lives of other people. And, um, and so just wanted to lift up the opportunity for folks to um, engage with that story again and um, celebrate a person who, you know, it's not like he was in quote unquote ministry, but he sure did a lot of ministry and had a high profile platform where he absolutely without any, any hesitation um, shared his faith and did so quite vibrantly. Um, so thank you for bringing his story forward again to us and the opportunity to reflect on the gift of of his life and um, and his ongoing legacy. Luke, it's um it's a privilege to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You can find um, Luke's writing online uh, right now at ChristianityToday.com. There's a piece posted, I skipped church for three years. My spiritual loneliness brought me back. Maybe it would be a good opportunity for you to raise this conversation with somebody who um, maybe hasn't returned to church following COVID. Maybe they're not coming for a host of other reasons. Um, It's an opportunity for you to re-engage with them today maybe for you to re-engage yourself. So if you want me to send you the link to the article, I can always do that. Just text me, 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Today is 9-11. It's a good day for us to remember what we promised to never forget. And so, assuming that you're old enough to remember uh, and recognizing that 22 years is a long time, um, September 11, 2001 uh, is one of those where were you when conversation starters. And again, you know, there are, there is now an entire generation um, born after 
9-11-2001, and a good portion of the generation of you know young adults now who were too little at the time to really, um, I mean, we insulated them from what had happened, did we not? I mean, we worked very hard to insulate the little ones. Um, and so today's a good day to remember what we all promised to never forget and maybe to share with those who don't know, who are too young to remember, to share with them what our experience was on that day. So where were you? And my guess is that if you're like me, you are absolutely transported in an instant um, to the place where you first heard and then and then to the time and place where you first saw and then to that evening when if you're like me, you gathered with other believers in your community wherever you were and you wept together. And you wondered together about the future. And you desperately um, were reaching out to people who's, who were not answering their phones. What do you remember about the day that we all promised to never forget? For the survivors and for the families of those lost on 9-11, um, today never changes. <laughs> 9-11, it doesn't matter that it was 22 years ago. Today never changes. The horror never fades. The pain is never ameliorated. Um, certainly for those who have faith, there is newness of life, but it doesn't mean that the aching pain is not just as real today as it was on that day. Remembering is a powerful agent in the walk of faith. And today is a good day to remember, to remind ourselves that God is faithful in leading us in hope. So in the congregation and community where I was serving at the time, we gathered around Psalm 46 on September the 11th. We sang, How Firm a Foundation, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, Amazing Grace, and God Bless America. Maybe if you need a soundtrack for 9-11, those would be helpful to you. And maybe Psalm 46 could be something you reflect on today. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still, he says, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen.
So before um, before his death, Jesus talked about what was going to happen in what we would call the end of times. And Jesus talked about what was going to happen between what we now know to be his death, resurrection, and ascension, and what we still anticipate is yet to come. And he talked about like what some of the what some of the experiences we would have in what I call the meantime. And we are living in the meantime. It's not just the time in between things. It's also just, frankly, kind of mean. So it's not, you know, the mean just as in the middle. It's mean as in a spirit of meanness. Jesus says in Matthew 24, like, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. Don't be alarmed. Such things must happen. The end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all of these are simply the beginning of birth pains. So he goes on in uh, Matthew 24 to to talk more about that. You might want to read the entirety of that passage today. And I I bring this up because um, there has been a massive earthquake. Um, In fact, the aftershocks are still ongoing um, in Morocco, so we're talking here about uh, the eastern portion of the continent of Africa on the coast. Um, and so there was a 6.8 magnitude earthquake on Friday. We now know that more than 21 people um, have died. These are ancient towns. Um, and so the construction is, you know, not not up to what we would think of as as current earthquake code by any stretch of the imagination. Um, the hardest hit communities are in the high Atlas Mountains. Uh, few roads appeared to, uh, well, the few roads that exist um, were blocked by debris. Um, and obviously getting to those communities has been very, very difficult. And aftershocks continue. So the United Nations estimates that there are some 300,000 people affected by this particular earthquake and um, the digging out of, of people continues. But as you can imagine, um, time, time is of the essence. And so um, I, I read one person's reflection on this this morning and they talked about something called the golden period. It refers to this like 72-hour window of time after a natural disaster in which there's the greatest likelihood to rescue um, survivors. And then after that 72 hours, like the chances of a person surviving um, drops off dramatically. And that's not to say that there aren't still miraculous um, uh, extractions several days in, and we certainly celebrate those. But there is this like rule of fours, you know, you can go four minutes without air and four days without water and four weeks without food. Well, it's that four days without water that um, that obviously becomes the, the critical point. Hypothermia is also an issue in the aftermath of many, many um, natural disasters. So that golden period is coming to an end. But that doesn't mean we don't pray for miracles and we don't pray for God to um, empower and enable those who are on the front lines of the rescue and again, on this um, on this anniversary of nine eleven, um, we remember those who ran ran to ran to the site um, and continued to dig um, in a place that we now know was incredibly and horribly toxic for them. 
Um, but there was, they were holding out hope that, that some might be saved. And so let's be uh, lifting up prayers today and holding out hope for those who are still seeking to recover life in, in Morocco in the wake of an earthquake there um, and the aftershocks that continue. In other news today, uh, we are reading that, um, you, you, you know, you know, this story that, um, uh, Evan Gerskovich, this 31 year old Wall Street Journal reporter accused of espionage. It's not, it's not a credi- credible accusation. This is really Russia, um, taking hostages. It's called hostage diplomacy. There's something that they want. And so they grab an American and they hold that American until they can convince uh, the United States of America to, you know, to trade. Um, and it used to be true that we did not negotiate um, these kinds of hostage taking. But this has now become um, a whole category of international, quote unquote, diplomacy. Um, we recently basically paid $1.2 billion per hostage Um in terms of extracting some people from Iran uh, and yeah, and releasing $6 billion in, in funds in um, held in South Korea. So it's just, it, it is international. It's a, it's an international quote unquote game. There's no question about it. Moscow wants uh, Vadim Krasikov. He's a hitman, and he's jailed in Germany for the assassination of a Chechen dissident. Um, and they want they want him to be the prisoner swap for Evan Gerskovich. Uh, and so uh, let's be let's be praying today that God would intervene. That's 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 my prayer that God would intervene. It did bring to mind as I was reading this this morning, it did bring to mind um, the story told in Matthew chapter 27. So Jesus um, has been arrested. Jesus has uh, been humiliated by the guards. Jesus has been um, paraded out in front of the crowds. Uh, and Pilate is looking, is looking for a way to wash his hands of this. And so in Matthew 27, we read, this begins at verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor... Uh, that would be Pilate, was accustomed to release for the crowd one prisoner whom they wanted. Uh, there was a notorious pris- prisoner called Barabbas. So uh, when they gathered, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For Pilate knew that it was simply out of envy that they had delivered Jesus up, um, and he was uh, sitting on the judgment seat, and his wife sent word to him at that time saying, don't have anything to do with this righteous man. I have suffered much um, in a dream because of him. The chief priests and the elders stirred up the people so that they asked for Barabbas and that they called for the crucifixion of Jesus, who is known as the Christ. The governor said again to them, who do you want? me to release to you. And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said, well, what should I do with Jesus, who was called the Christ? And they said, crucify him. And he said, why? What evil has he done? They shouted all the more, crucify him, crucify him. Prisoner swaps are not a new thing. 
moral depravity is not a new thing. Unrighteous imprisonment is not a new thing. I'll just be praying today for the intervention of God, for righteousness to prevail, and for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. You may not think of yourself as a courageous world changer, but you are. Sometimes fear rules the day and keeps us from identifying in these ways. But when you step out in faith and decide to take action in the moment, living this day in light of that day, in light of eternity, you change the world. Mornings with Carmen is part of listener-supported Faith Radio. This content is only available because of your support. The impact on people's lives, the reach around the world, it all happens because you stand up to make a difference. Now is your time, so take the next step and be bold by joining the support team. Click the link in the show notes or go to MyFaithRadio.com and make this day count for that day. Oh, well, um, what should we talk about now? Um, so... When we talk about 9-11, we know the names of some 2,753 people. Uh, there are um, a number of victims that have been identified over the course of time. Did you know that there were two victims identified just the other day? Um, yeah, that's just extraordinary, right? It's just extraordinary to me that... Um, People are still being uh, being identified. So <clears throat> I'm reading here a piece uh, uh, from a piece. You can you can actually read it in lots of places, but I, I'm reading it. This happens to be from the Jerusalem Post. The remains of a man and a woman killed on September 11th in the attack on the World Trade Center have just been identified. This year marks the 22nd anniversary since the attack. But modern uh, DNA technology um, has just resulted in the New York City Chief Medical Examiner issuing um, these uh, two identifications, um, you know, just this year. So these victims um, are, you know, one and two of 2,753 people killed either in the towers or on the airplanes um, or at the Pentagon. And uh, the names are being kept private at the request of their families. But, um, you know, it has been confirmed that one of the victims is a man and the other a woman. Imagine that you had to wait 22 years for, um, you know, like DNA confirmation. And this brought to mind um, the, the challenge being faced in Maui of identifying victims of the fire there. Uh, and and again, the death toll in Maui is not as high as what was once anticipated. Um, but, you know, we're still talking about hundreds of confirmed deaths and, and a number of people still missing. Um, and so um, they're not unaccounted for. You've heard me say that before. Um, but they're also not accounted for in a way that is meaningful, you know, to their to their families and their friends. And um, it's a good day, I think, to be to be mindful of those who 
the world has a hard time identifying, but God knows at the very cellular level of their being. And we've talked about this before. No one is unaccounted for when it comes to God. So who makes your prayer list today in terms of missing? Maybe you're still praying for somebody missing in action um, from the Vietnam War, from the Korean War. Let's be praying for those families who have never received that kind of closure. Um, Maybe you are the parent or the grandparent, the aunt or an uncle, um, the cousin of a person who has gone missing over time. And you don't know where they are. We want to pray um, for God to bring resolution and closure. Um, We want to thank God for developing technologies Um, And we want to pray for the the continued process of the identification of victims of 9-11, 22 years ago, um, and the identification of victims in these latest fires in Maui that, much like 9-11, you know, resulted in people's bodies being so utterly destroyed that um, that they're they're not identifiable by, um, by any average means. All right, what else uh what else is capturing the headlines today? Um this is a you're going to think this is a little bit weird. That's okay. I'm here, I'm here for the weird as well as the as the wonderful. So, St. Jude's arm. Mhm. St. Jude's arm. The USA today is reporting that St. Jude's arm is going on tour. Um so the Catholic Church has announced that for the first time the arm of St. Jude is going to leave Italy and tour churches, schools, and prisons across the United States beginning this month. Um, It is a relic. Uh, Here's the way it's described. The relic of one of Jesus's 12 apostles, considered to be the patron saint of the hopeless and difficult cases, St. Jude. Um, You you know St. Jude because there's a hospital named St. Jude. I I guarantee you that's where your your mind went. Um, Maybe your mind went to the very, very brief book of the Bible, um, by the same name. So uh, the arm of St. Jude, this relic of the church, is going to make its first stop at St. John uh, Cantius Church in in Chicago. Oh, that happened on September the 9th. So actually, it's it's already happened. The first one's already happened. And the tour is going to conclude in May of 2024. Um, thousands of visitors, uh, yeah, already um, thronged to see the arm of St. Jude. Now, why bring this up today? Well, I think I want to ask the question about veneration, because that's language that is used in uh, in the discussion of, quote-unquote, relics and the, quote, venerated figures in Christian history and the venerated things like the arm of St. Jude. So when we talk about the veneration of people other than Christ— and the veneration of things apart from Christ, the veneration of anything that is not Christ himself. We don't, we don't venerate the cross. We don't venerate um, the Shroud of Turin. We don't venerate, um, we don't even venerate original copies of the Bible. We just don't. We don't venerate the Bible. The Bible talks about veneration a lot, specifically the veneration of God and those who lead us to him. 
So the challenge comes when our veneration of a person, or in this case, a religious relic, is actually worship of something or someone who is not God, putting faith and trust in something or someone who is not God. So there's these there's, there's appropriate acts, words of gratitude, um, maybe making a donation in honor of someone. I see, you know, I see nothing wrong with lighting candles to show respect or giving someone a gift that's honorific, acknowledging their personal character or their act of extraordinary service. So this is not, you know, this is not me poo-pooing, um, uh, looking on art for art's sake or um, are those things. This is about worship. The Bible talks a lot about venerating God and worshiping God, talks a lot about calling us to honor God and centering our lives in a relationship with him. Um, I'm thinking here maybe like 1 Timothy 2.5, which reminds us there's one God, one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. So we might be tempted to venerate or exalt particular people or angels or um, a place or a thing, but those honors, um, that veneration is really reserved for Christ alone. So if you're ever tempted to venerate or treasure a relic, an item, a thing, um, return your devotion to Christ. Um, And I mean, I don't think it's wrong to go see St. Jude's arm. (laughs) But if in going you expect to have some access to God that Christ has not given you, if you expect that by seeing it or touching it or paying the church is going to give you some kind of access or some blessing that does not flow from the grace of God demonstrated on the cross in the empty tomb, then your veneration of the thing has become idolatry. And you've begun to set your hope on something other than Jesus himself. So um, this is actually, you know, one of the reasons the Protestant Reformation actually took place. And so I just thought it would be a worthy conversation to lift up today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Psalm 103, I've got on my heart uh, today. He forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. We've got another hour together here on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for the gift of your time. Um, We're going to talk next about holidays. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, Click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.